Micah uh, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Micah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I will indeed gather all of you, Jacob. I will collect the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like flock in the middle of of its pasture. It will be noisy with people. One who breaks open the way will advance before them. They will break out pass through the city gate and leave by it. The king will pass through before them, the Lord as their leader. This is God's word. Will you pray with me? Father, we uh, once again are gathered here together uh, in your presence, and we are asking you to speak, Lord. We, your servants, are listening. I pray all of us in this room would, would be able to pray that prayer with a sincere heart this morning. Speak, Lord. We are listening. Lord, I want you to speak to me as a pastor of this church. Lord, I want to hear what it is that you have for me personally, Lord, and I pray that your uh, blessing would be upon your people, these people who are the apple of your eye, that you would help us to find shelter, refuge underneath your wings here this morning. We ask that you would do these things by the power of your spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Well, it's, a, uh, it's truly an honor to worship with you all uh, this morning. Um, I, I want you to know that uh, our church, New Heights Church, we, we do pray for you um, weekly, uh, and we love to hear all that's happening here. It, uh, it's, it's amazing to always get to hear from uh, Pastor Ricky. It's, uh, it's an encouragement, and so we just want to encourage you to keep fighting the good fight. Uh, and I think the best way to do that is to, to open up the Word. Um, so again, as you heard, we're going to be looking at Micah 2, 12, and 13. Now, you've heard in, in prior weeks... Uh, that a judgment is coming on Israel, right? Micah's told them this, that a judgment is coming, a prophetic judgment against Samaria, a prophetic judgment against Jerusalem, a prophetic judgment against land grabbers and false prophets. And the first two chapters, right, they're really heavy judgment passages. Now, God is going to deal with sin. And after we have seen Micah tell Israel that they're guilty of sinning against the law of God, which has terrifying ramifications. He tells those who love the Lord some beautiful truth that their God, despite their failures, has not abandoned them. That salvation is going to come, that there is a divine rescue that is planned for them. That God will shepherd His people to Himself. He's going to lead them to victory. Truly a needed reminder for all of God's people, I think, in all times. Uh, what I love about reading Scripture and studying the people and the cultures uh, in the Bible is how little people actually have changed. Uh, they're just like us. Like, technology's changed, right? Clothing styles uh, have changed, no doubt. But, but people are people, right? There's nothing new under the sun. No matter the age, these are people that have fear, they have love, they have regret, they have happiness, they have joy, they have goals in life, right? This human experience is quite universal, And God repeats His promises to these people and to us, His promises that show His faithfulness, but quickly, like them, we easily forget the faithfulness of God. We're quick to question God's faithfulness. We may sing about it. We may speak about it. But far too often, right, there's a whisper of doubt in our heart tells us that sin is taking us beyond our reach, 
We turn our eyes to heaven often, asking, God, do you really love me? And can I trust you? A lie that was first uttered by a serpent has found itself deep within the heart of man. Yet in the light of us questioning the goodness of God, despite our sinful doubt, the Lord's faithfulness never wavers. And I pray that's what you can see today in, in the passage, and that it encourages your heart and spurns you to worship. There's two points if you're a note taker. It's He will shepherd and He will lead. Uh, before we unpack it, let's pray together. Father God, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. Lord, I thank You for Your Word, and Lord, that we can gather together and that we can open it up. And Lord, I pray that You use Your Word to correct us where we need corrected, to train us up in righteousness. Lord, I pray that it never leaves our heart and mind, that You allow, that you hear our prayers and that You allow us to gather. Lord, we love You. Lord, we ask that You set aside distractions and may our heart be focused on You and on repentance. We love You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, the first point is He will shepherd. This is Micah 2, 12. It reads, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. So from the very get-go, right, what do we see? That the Lord makes a promise to shepherd His people. He says, I will collect you, right? those who are mine. I'm going to gather you up for myself. And what stands out immediately is the absolute nature of this of God's declaration, right? It's not, I might do this. It's not, I will gather you if, right? There's no conditions to these promises, right? The promises of God are not so weak that it needs the petty contributions of men to be fulfilled. God will do it because it is His Word. So when the great I Am says, I will, it's as good as done, but sometimes it's hard to trust. Now, I'm not sure if you all have heard of a, you know, the trust test before. I'm sure you have, right? Trust test is where you, uh, you stand straight and you fall back, and the person behind you that you're supposed to trust is supposed to catch you and keep you from smacking the ground. Well, my kids and I love to play the trust test, though I'm a little too heavy, and they're, a, they're just a little bit too little to play it that way. So we have a different way of playing the trust test. I, I stretch my hands straight up. And they take their little fingers, and I hate being tickled, and they get their little fingers as close to my armpit as humanly possible. And I sit there, and, I'm, and I get nervous again, don't like being tickled. My kids love it because they like to see how un uneasy I get right, if they get right close to me, like they're going to tickle me. And the reason I get so uneasy is because my kids always fail. They can't help it. Right as I'm laying there, I, as their fingers are getting close, I can see it in their eyes. They cannot resist. And every single time, those little sinners, they lie and tickle me. Every single time. Now, there's a reason, again, why God has to repeat His promises to His people over and over again, all through Scripture. Because the way we act towards God, you'd think we were playing the trust test with, with, a, with a liar with a little sinner, of someone who couldn't be trusted, who, who failed the trust test and faithfulness somehow. The church's actions, both the Old 
Testament church and the New Testament church shows that we struggle deeply to trust in the I wills of the Lord. But God's promises are more secure than your next breath, they're more firm than the ground you stand on. Think of what God is about to do to Israel in the days of Micah. They're going to face war, they're going to face death. The dreams that they have hoped for since they were children. There's their small businesses, all of it. It's gonna be cut short. Mothers and fathers are gonna to have to bury their children because war is coming. War with the Assyrians, with the Babylonians. And for years, God's people will be scattered. And they're gonna read these promises in Micah. These I wills from God. I will gather. I will assemble. I will come and collect you. I will be the good shepherd that I am. Now put yourselves in their footsteps. Surely some of you have faced difficulty and doubted the presence of God. You can easily see how people could turn their face up to heaven and say, okay, when, Lord? When are you going to do all that you said you were going to? In fact, David does it in Psalm 12. When he asked the Lord, where are you? What are you doing? God, we've been waiting. When are you going to do what you say you will do? Oftentimes, we question God's faithfulness because our timetable is very different than God's timetable. Our timing, right, if we were to make a timetable of what our life would look like, I think all of us, it would be like the, like the speed pass at Disney, right? There'd be very little difficulty, very little waiting. We wouldn't be suffering in our timetable for ourselves. No difficulty. The Lord tells them, right? He's telling the remnant of Israel in Micah, listen, you are going to suffer, but I have not left you. I will gather for you, and I will return for you. It's the same promise Christ tells the New Testament church. Right? You will suffer for, not, for my namesake, but I will come again. Same promise. I think sometimes we want to serve like a Burger King Jesus, right, where we can have it our way. But Christ, the good Lord, shepherds us through difficulty. Right? God is not leaving those whom he loves in the day of Micah, just like the Lord hasn't left you when you struggle, when he chastises you, he's not abandoning you. God is not leaving them. He's shepherding them through punishment, through their chastisement because of their sin. The pain has a purpose, and their God is humbling them, showing them their need for him. Displaying his great faithfulness despite his flock being full of a rebellious people. He refuses to turn his back on them. He also creates in their heart an anticipation for his gathering, his return. Now eventually, they would get a taste, right? They would see a shadow of what was to come. They would gather back under the leadership <coughs> excuse me, of Nehemiah and Ezra. But this passage is speaking of something far greater than Nehemiah or Ezra. 
Again, this is a shadow of something to come, right? This, this, there's, this is a hint of something more beautiful than that. And when Christ came, think of it. When the incarnation finally comes, what does he do before he ascends? He sends his disciples. <coughs> do you remember what he tells them? He tells them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What's he tell them? Go and gather gather other saints in my name. Go and watch as I gather saints from all nations, making a nation of priests from all tribes, from a nation of priests from all the corners of the earth, from Judea to Samaria to the undiscovered lands that would one day be called West Virginia. And what he tells them is, watch what I do through you. Watch. For the Lord was with those disciples. And that same Lord is with you, Wellspring. The same command has been given to you to go and gather these sheep that do not yet know the gospel. The command is for you, church, to gather saints for His glory, anticipating that return. Now, we watch God slowly gather, shepherding his people from death to life, from babes to spiritual adulthood, and his divine plan, his steadfast faithfulness, unveils itself. And that beautiful proclamation given by God can be seen in part. can be seen in part as the church around the world gathers to celebrate our risen Savior. But still only a part, still but a shadow of something greater even to come. That one day when our Lord returns, that all saints from across the globe will be gathered together in Him, by Him, for Him, to the praise of His glorious grace. So we see that God's divine promise to shepherd His people through punishment, But also, we see that he's shepherding his flock to be together. Look again at verse 12. It says, (coughs) excuse me, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. So God says, I'm going to assemble you. I'm going to gather you. I'm going to set you together. Now, listen, neither then in the days of Micah nor today is a child of God to be in isolation. Right? We are are saved for a purpose, not only to glorify the Lord, but to be together. As you can see, what, what does God do with his flock? He puts them with one another. We're saved by grace, but for the benefit of the body. 
He gathers us to be with Him, but consequently to be together with one another. So we're gathered by the Lord for each other. And listen, the Lord, the Lord wanted you. He didn't need you. Right? I'm sure I've met some of you. You're wonderful people, right? But the Lord didn't need any of us. But what's, what I find amazing is despite him not needing us, he assembled the body. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. He assembled the body in such a way that we need each other. Right? The Lord says that he has given us gifts to where we need one another. This assembly isn't for him, it's for you. It's for your benefit as the church is called to be together. Now, if you remember the days of Micah, the actions of the Old Testament church was anything but loving. Sinning towards the Lord, sinning towards each other, taking advantage, backstabbing, gossiping, hating, undermining. Listen to me, please. You cannot hate what you've been gathered to and be obedient in the mission you've been gathered for. I want to say it again. You cannot hate what you've been gathered to and be obedient in the mission that you've been gathered for. You cannot be hateful to the other members of the flock and claim to be obedient to the shepherd who's leading you. Too often, that which God has assembled has given the Lord a, a bad name. Uh, even a secular culture, right? People respect, typically, they'll say they respect Jesus, right? They'll say that he's a good teacher. They admire at least the idea of Jesus, but they hate his bride. You don't have to go to the unbelieving world to, to see church hurt. I'm sure many of you have your own stories of where someone in the church has hurt you, or maybe where you hurt someone, where somehow a saint did not represent their shepherd well. Our assembly ought to be a testament to the one who collected us, not bringing shame on Christ, but living a life worthy of the gospel. Now, when God shepherds his people together, right, he's assembling, he's putting something, taking broken people, and he's putting something beautiful together, this bride, a body who's to share the good news of the gospel, who proclaim both in word and works their glorious king. Right, God is going to set his people together. For what reason? To, to love one another, to encourage each other, to help minister and disciple each other to declare his word to the world. And that was true before Micah, during the time of Micah, and today. In God's shepherding, he leads us into the lives of one another not to be idle or not to be apathetic, not to be a thorn, not to be a leech, but to be active, following the lead of our good shepherd. And notice this, right? When we're gathered together, how does he describe us? As a noisy multitude. A noisy multitude. This noisy multitude, it will be diverse in appearance. It will be diverse in talents. Diverse in interests. But it will be unified in where we're going. And more importantly, it will be unified in who we are following. 
which is my second point. He will lead. Look at verse 2, 13 in Micah. It reads, He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. Now, Israel is about to find that their line of kings, human kings, is going to end uh, when Jerusalem is captured, right? Seemingly, this was a promise made to David, and it seemingly is going to flicker out, right? This, when the temple is sacked and destroyed, this promise will be snuffed out from their perspective. But God was not less in charge when Jerusalem fell than he was when David was on the throne. He's both Lord over the peaks and valleys, using all for his end and for our good. Now again, imagine being part of the Old Testament church in the days of Micah. And you're reading this. Imagine being scattered from your home by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But you're reading that there is a king who's going to come and he's going to rescue you. Imagine living in in what seems to be like a foreign land with people who reject the law of God. And you read, I will come and gather you, and I will lead you out of bondage. I will lead you to victory. Now sometimes, listen, sometimes I think that we, we forget how glorious our salvation is. And we don't think of it in that light. But these people, when they were under the Babylonians and the Assyrians, they were slaves. So you know they anticipated the day. Man, you're talking about freedom for me? You know they anticipated that. They were excited to see it, to taste it, to taste freedom. Not realizing that the promise of freedom was a far greater freedom than political freedom. That was going to come to them. They anticipated that one day they would see their king. That this king who would lead them from bondage. A king that would destroy the enemy. And listen, this isn't just a promise to gather. What what we're reading in Micah is a promise of real victory. That this king would... Open up the gate and free them from captivity. This was not simply a liberation from some earthly government. This was not an exodus from social status, from poverty. It was greater than all of those things. Because when the king opens up the gate in this passage, notice the gate is broken. When those sheep run through, the gate is broken. There is no return to captivity when the king frees you from bondage. There's no worry about the next nation to come. There's no longer a concern that one day you will be subject and once again in bondage to your greatest adversary, to your sin. The king was greater than they could even Imagine. They wanted the lion. They wanted the lion to come and free them. 
And they got more than that, didn't they? Because one day, that lion would make himself a lamb. And that lamb let himself be slaughtered. Heaven came down. And like the passage says here, the king went before us, up Golgotha, and there he put death to death. There he loved us to death and back. Our freedom, our unity with this king was secured and now eternal, for there it was declared finished. It's why Paul can write in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ the King His work irreversible. There is no returning to bondage. After Christ opens the gate, look at what he says in verse 13. Their king passes on before them the Lord at their head. Christ, the head of the flock, leading definitely a needed reminder, isn't it? A needed reminder that we are led by Christ. We must fight the urge to be led by anything else. And there will be temptations in the life, in your life, in the life of your church, to be led by something else. That's why you must pray for your pastors. Listen, I love tradition. I love tradition. In our house, we, we create traditions, truly. Every year we try to create a new tradition, and we keep to it. Right? Some weird traditions. I got one of my favorite traditions. Uh, we, we, there's one night, and we, it's to celebrate Sabbath. We try to stay up as late as we possibly can. Um, and and my, yeah, I have a 10 and an 8-year-old, so you know how well they do the next day. But they stay up all night, as late as they possibly can, until they're crying and begging me to go rest. And then we read the passage where God gives the Sabbath, allows us to rest, and we go sleep the entire next day. It's one of our favorite things to do every year. I love tradition. But tradition does not lead the church. I love politics. I'm a political scientist, man. I love politics. I could talk about politics all the live long day. You want to talk about tax theory? That's Hang out afterwards, and we'll nerd out in the back about tax theory. I love it. But politics doesn't lead the church. Culture does not lead the church. Humanitarian needs do not lead the church. Flickers of emotion in our belly doesn't lead the church. Listen, your wants and your desires, your selfish ambition does not lead the church. Christ alone is the head, the risen king. And it's to his word and his commands that we listen. 
Now, I, I am a, I don't have the TikTok thing. I don't have the Instagram thing. I have a Twitter. I don't know how to get into it. Somehow my Facebook's attached to it. So anytime I post on Facebook, I hear that it gets also posted on Twitter. I don't know these things. But I do love you myself some YouTube. I think I've watched almost every video on YouTube. I love YouTube. And so I get on YouTube, and I love to watch, I love to read the comment section of YouTube. And there's an insult that people say on, they call people a sheep. They say, you're such a sheep. And they say this is like, uh, the, that you're kind of like a, a dumb person, right? You just follow easily and you're dumb. That's what it meant. And, and so when I see that the Bible calls us sheep, I'm kind of like, why are you doing that, right? That's not nice. Why are you calling a sheep? Uh, I want to I uh, kind of undo a common misconception about sheep, right? They're, they're not dumb. They're actually really intelligent animals. Um, now, uh, I, they are easily scared, right? Sheep are easily scared, and they have a tendency to run. Now, calling you a sheep, Scripture doesn't mean that as an insult, right? Now, it is a goal. We should want to be able to follow easily and be obedient. We should, should want, by nature, to be around other sheep, to be around God's flock. That should be a desire of us. It should be a desire to find security in your good shepherd. But being called a sheep it's also speaks to our weakness. Because like sheep, we are prone to wander, aren't we? Somehow, we forget, like the Old Testament church, we forget who is leading us. We forget the faithfulness of our king. What our king has done and what he promises to do. Sure, we see what he's done in the past. Right? We read the Bible and go, okay, I see what God, I see what you did with Moses. We might look at our own lives and go, okay, I saw what you did in my life, you know, years ago, some time ago. But sadly, often our mind said, okay, Lord, but what have you done for me lately? If you're tempted to think of think such folly. Remember all the ways that you've been blessed. Remember with each daily sin, your murdered Savior died so that you could live. Remember the Lord who's molding you and growing you, who's holding all things together, who right now is allowing the blood to pump through your veins. Remember what He has done what he's doing, so you can anticipate what is yet to come. The king shepherd who leads you, Christians, Scripture says he's made you more than conquerors. Think about that. Us who are often afraid to share the gospel out of fear of what someone may think. Scripture says you have been made more than conquerors. who in your adoption, your king shepherd led you to himself so that you would not return to sin but follow him wherever he leads, following him wherever he might have you go, following him together, knowing that not even the gates of hell can prevail. So I would ask you, 
to examine your life, your heart, and ask if you fail to trust in what the Lord is shepherding you through. Why do you fear to follow His lead? And what keeps you from trusting the promises of the Lord? And when you find those idols, and when you find those doubts, I would ask that you repent of these things and hold fast to His Word. I want to leave you with this passage, and I pray that it can be your song. Psalm 89 reads, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever in the heavens. You will establish your faithfulness. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are. O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Let us pray.